Well, there's nothing as precious as the love of God, is there? And goodness gracious, what a beautiful song. Here we are in Exodus 3 this morning, and would you stand for the reading, if you would. Exodus chapter 3, we're starting a new series here in the month of July called Why Me? And I hope you enjoyed the darts last Sunday. Some people are wondering if they're still here because their bus is out back. Uh, but they flew to Tennessee for a couple of weeks, and let, we let them leave their bus here plugged in so that they could keep their refrigerator on and things. So uh, we're so excited that they could come, and thank you for being here last Sunday. And yeah, my family and I got to go on a vacation uh, to the flooded areas of our nation in Missouri. It was such a special time in July to get down there and have like five inches of rain. It's just beautiful. Um, but we, we had a great time, and then we got back yesterday, uh, we drove from Friday morning through the night, I got back yesterday about noon, and it started raining, so it was just, just perfect, but we're glad to be back, and thank you so much for praying for us. Exodus 3, and our series is called, Why Me? Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, not to be confused with Jethro Bodine. This is the Bible Jethro, okay? Uh, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see... God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place where all thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come up unto me. And I've also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain." And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, I shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. Our question this morning, Why am I sent? And let's pray. Father, would you bless now? As we preach the very word of God this morning, I pray that your word would be powerful in our lives through your spirit. I pray that we would set aside the things of our lives today 
and focus in on what you would have for each of us. Guide us now, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Would you listen to us, Michaela Sink? Come wherever you've been Come broken hearted Let rescue begin Come find your mercy Oh sinner come kneel Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't heal Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't heal So lay down your burden up your face, oh wanderer, come home, you're not too far, so lay down your hurt, lay down your heart, come as you are. There's hope for the helpless, all those who have strayed. Come sit at the table, come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary, oh rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure. So lay down your burdens. All who are broken, lift up your face. Oh, wanderer, come home. You're not too far. So lay down your hurt. Lay down your Come as you are, come as you are, fall in his arms, come as you are, there's joy for the morning, oh sinner be still, earth has no has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. Come 
Lay down your heart, come as you are, come as you are, come as you are, come as you Thank you for that song this morning. Well, we find Moses here, and, and Moses really is, is a Bible character that if you know much about the Bible, or you've ever been to church much, you've gotten to know Moses pretty well. Now, we find him all the way through uh, the second, third, fourth, and fifth books of the Old Testament, and it, actually we believe that he's the human author of the first five books of the Bible, and and so quite a guy, Moses, and he, he started, of course, as a prince in Egypt, drawn out of the water, and lived in the house of Pharaoh for uh, many of the first decades of his life, and, and yet as he began to be a man, and as he began to go out and uh, live out his hopes and his dreams, he went about it in a way that uh, possibly he tried to force God's will. And I think sometimes we do the same thing. Many people start out with big hopes and big dreams, and I don't think there's any believer who ever has thought, you know what I want to do? I want to ruin my life. I don't think there's any believer who said, you know, I would really just like to trample on God's will. I think most believers want to do God's will, and we want to do God's purpose, and we have big hopes, and we have big dreams, and we want to be used by God, and Moses was the same way. And so he went out and he saw one of the taskmasters beating one of the Hebrews. And he said, I can't stand that. That makes me so mad. And he had a Popeye moment. And when he popped the can of spinach, he found out that the Egyptian was dead. He had killed him. And so he buried his body in the sand. And our life groups looked at this passage this morning in Exodus 2. The next day he goes out. And there's two Hebrews, two Jews fighting. And he said, you guys shouldn't fight your brothers. And they said, what, you're going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And Moses, he had this moment where his face grew very pale. And his whole body began to shake and he was in terror because he found out that Pharaoh knew what he had done. And so he ran and he ran and he ran until he ran where he thought he was totally out of his hopes and dreams and he was out of God's will. And he's on the backside of the desert. And he got to a point in his life, here in his early life, where he thought, you know what? My hopes and dreams are gone. I'm just going to have to settle for what I see. I'm going to have to settle for what's there. In fact, to show it to you in the introduction here in Exodus 2. Look what it says as he gets to the land of Midian and he's run away. And look in verse 21, Exodus 2. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. This is Jethro. And he gave Moses Zipporah his daughter. And Moses for 40 years lives on the backside of the desert. 
For 40 years, he walks out in the wilderness in a solitary university that God had prepared for him. For 40 long years. Now, most of the deserts in our lives are not 40 years long. Most of the time, we have deserts that sometimes we have that are 30 days long. Or maybe a year long, or sometimes four or five years long. Moses, it was 40 years where his hopes and dreams were dead. He was in the backside of the desert. He felt like God's will for his life had ended, and he settled. He was content to just dwell with what he had. And I get to looking at this, and Zipporah may have been a beautiful woman, but can you imagine being married to somebody named Zipporah? I mean, you'd have to settle, right? His, he marries this woman named Zipporah. He's watching sheep, and he's getting out of the house every day. And yet, that's what he's content to do because he had settled for this area in his life. And now he gets to the burning bush, and he says, I'm going to see what this is. And God says, hey, Moses, let's go back 40 years in your life, and let's remember your hopes and dreams. And you know what? I've heard the prayers of the children of Israel, and they're still being beaten. And they're still building the pyramids, and they're still being mistreated by Pharaoh and his goons. And I've heard their cry, and I'm going to do something about it. In fact, I'm sending you. And of all the people on the earth whom Moses thought God would have sent to accomplish this, he was now dead last on the list. He didn't feel like he had any value before God. The university of the wilderness had taught him humility. It had taught him this meekness that would be spoken of later in the Scripture, that he was the meekest of men. And here he is wondering, God, why in the world would you call me? Why would you send me? Why would you ask me to go? And I think it's a question that we've all had at a time in our life, like Moses. We are prone to wonder, why is it that God would have us? Why would God want me to do this certain thing, or this certain ministry, or this certain purpose? And we find in Moses' life, that the answers work together for God's good. And it's the same that it works in our lives. God works these things together for our good. And so we're going to trace Moses' life here in chapter 3 a little bit and go into chapter 4 as well. As we start this question, why me? And specifically, why am I sent? God, why would you want me to do that? And we begin with in verses 3 and 4, the comfort zone. The comfort zone. The notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. Here Moses is, and he's been keeping the flock. He's walked these same paths for 40 years. And now he sees a strange thing. He has seen fire before, okay? It's not that he's never seen fire And in fact, he's probably seen grass fires and he's probably seen uh, fires even on Mount Horeb where he was, the mountain of God. But he sees a fire where there's this old craggly bush that's burning, but it doesn't burn up. It just continues to burn. 
It's like somebody had a natural gas line going into the bottom of it. It just continued to burn and continued to burn. And he said, I want to find out what's going on here. And Moses walks over, and if you notice in verse 3, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Now, it's interesting that God would use this name Moses for him because this was the name that had been given to him by Pharaoh's daughter. The meaning of it was because I drew him out of the water. This was a name that would be royal in Moses' life. This was the name that he was called in the palace. This was a specific name of God's calling in his life. And God calls him by this name. And you notice what Moses said. Here I am. Here I am. I'm right here. Here am I. And we find in the comfort zone that this is who Moses thought that he was. See, the comfort zone, me, is who I think I am. When I sometimes have settled for God's will, when God's circumstances or situations in my life have taken me to a place where I think this is all there is. This is the only option I have. This is the only capability. This is the only way to go. And he had been walking with his sheep for so long that Moses now assumed that this was his lifetime identity. But you know, his perception of his own identity was different than God's purpose for his life. So Moses thought, this is all there is. This is all I've got left. I've been doing this for 40 years. This must be my calling. This must be my purpose for my life. And how could there be anything else? And I believe that there are people in this room today who may be in the same situation Moses was in. Whatever it is that has taken you away from your spiritual hopes and dreams, whether it's your health, or maybe it's a marriage that fell apart, or maybe it's some type of a trial that God sent into your life. Maybe it's a decision you made, like Moses did, that caused him to run away from his hopes and dreams. Whatever it is that's brought you to that place, now you have grown comfortable with who you are. Have you ever noticed that's how it is in our lives? Some, sometime in your life you may have accidentally looked in the mirror a side view and said, what in the world is going on? It looks like I put on a few pounds. Right? It looks like I've added 15 or 20 pounds. And, and, and yet, over time, what happens? You grow comfortable with that. Right? And then, seems, seems like you look again. Oh, whoa, seems like I've gotten even bigger. It seems like I've had something else develop here. And yet, we grow comfortable with who we are, even in areas where it's a negative thing. Even in areas where it's, it's not really a positive venture, we grow comfortable with who we are. We grow comfortable with situations, and we grow comfortable with workplaces. We grow comfortable with family turmoil sometimes. And we say things like, well, that's just the way it is. That's just where I'm at in my life. And we feel like there's no solution and there's no hope and there's going to be no change. And so I just have to live for what I have. 
I just have to live in contentment. And, and uh, we actually spiritualize that and we say, well, God has called us to be content. And he certainly has called us to be content with what he's given us, with such things as we have. But you know, God has never called us to be content outside of his purpose. God has never called us to be content outside of the hopes and dreams that he has for our lives. And so Moses had grown contented outside of God's will. And now he lived in this comfort zone. Now boy, he was entrenched in it. And it was going to take a lot to pull Moses out of this comfort zone. Just like it is with us, it takes a lot to pull us out of our routines. In fact, I was reading there's a, one of the best books that I've, I've read in the last year or two. is a book called The Power of Habit. And if, if you've seen it anywhere, grab it on Amazon or whatever. What a powerful book that is. It's a secular book. But do you know about 65% of everything we do every day is because of habit? That's simply what it is. We do it because it's a habit. And it takes less brain power to do a habit than it does to do an original thing. And so our brain doesn't like to work very hard, and so we just do what we're accustomed to do. And then a situation or a circumstance or a turmoil knocks us out of our habit. And you know what human beings, we discover, do not like? We don't like change. We don't like change. Um, I had an out-of-body experience yesterday. Goodness gracious. We, we got back, and, and uh, Cody and I went back. I had to take a rental car back to the airport, and, and then we got home and got a couple things, and I said, you know, I'd, I'm going to lay down for a little while and sleep because we had driven through the night. And so I laid down and slept, and, and I woke up after a couple hours, and uh, it was like, I've been, as many of you have been on foreign trips and things where you have jet lag, you kind of wake up, and you don't know where you are. I woke up in my own house, in my own bedroom, and had no idea where I was. And I was wondering, why are there dogs in this room? Right? What in the world's going on here? And, and they should not be here. And then I thought, these are my dogs, and why are they in this room, and why, are, why am I here? And I had no idea what was going on. My comfort zone had really been interrupted at that point. And it took me about 10 minutes to figure out where I was. My body is trying to catch up with my brain or my brain with my body. I'm not sure which it was. But you know, that's how it is with our lives sometimes, is it takes us a while to have recognition. And that's how it is with Moses. Now, when we walk through this, you're going to see that God's trying to get through to Moses. Hey, Moses, I've heard what's going on with my people in Egypt. And I really am concerned about it. And then God says, I'm going to send you. And we're going to find that Moses is going to fight tooth and nail at every turn not to be called by God. Not to be used by God. He's going to fight to stay in the comfort zone even though he knows deep in his heart that God has hopes and dreams for him. That God has a purpose for him. He's going to fight it with every inch of his body. That's what we do too. So the comfort zone. Then we go to the questions. And I want you to see some of these things. 
I already mentioned that a great percentage of the human race hates change more than any other thing. And so Moses had all of these questions or these objections that he was going to throw God's way. And God said, Moses, I've called you. And yet Moses had all of these concerns. And we see the first objection down in verses 11 and 12. Look at it again. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go? That's a very personal question, right? He wasn't looking at it from God's angle. He's looking at it from his angle. Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? And he could have looked at it from God's angle and said, God, you really want to send me? But he looked at it from his own angle, and that's what we do. We look at life situations and circumstances with what's my part going to be? How's this going to involve me? And Moses said, who am I that I should go? And that's what we ask sometimes about God's will too. So his first objection is about identity, and we could call it wrong person. Wrong person. God, you've got the wrong guy. You've called the wrong person. Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. And we see God's answer, and it's so profound, and it's so powerful, because God's answer in verse 12 is this, certainly I will be with thee. And God's answer is, Moses, it's not about who you are, it's about who I am. And that's the answer to the objection we need in our lives. Because so many times God asks us to do something and to step out on faith, and we say, God, there's no way I could do that. And God returns with His assurance, it's not about who you are, it's about who I am. See, folks, we're just instruments. We're just tools in God's mighty power. And God wants to use us. And it's not about the tool, it's about who's holding the tool. Right? It, it just doesn't... We, we don't ever go into a kitchen and we don't ever look at the mixer bowl and say, I tell you what, mixer bowl, you did a great job on those chocolate chip cookies. I tell you what, mixer bowl, that pie was out of this world. Right? You don't ever... You're eating a great meal. What's a great Sunday meal? Pot roast, maybe? Pot roast. Is that a good Sunday meal? I'm trying to wake you guys up with some food talk here. Maybe some good barbecue. And, and we get the fork, we got the plate, and we, we take the first bite, and we look at the fork, and we say, thank you, fork. Right? Fork, you are amazing. You did such a great job of transporting that food 18 inches to my mouth. You are amazing. You're wonderful. All right, we don't grab the bowl of homemade ice cream that mom just made on a summer evening and have it, a big spoon of it, and then we say to the spoon, spoon, you're incredible. No, we talk to the cook. We talk to the person who made the meal. We talk to the person who provided it for us. But when it comes to spirituality, why is it that we think that the fork is so important? Why is it that we think the spoon or the mixer bowl or the pan is so important? We're like, God, I don't know if I'm the right pan for this. God, I'm not sure if you could use me. I, I'm not the right mixing bowl. I'm not the right spoon. I'm not the right fork. And God says, I just need a tool. I just need a utensil. 
I just need somebody who's willing to be used. And yet, Moses said, I'm the wrong person. My identity is wrong. But then we look at verse 13 and we see this next suggestion. What words? What words? So Moses kind of set that one aside. And he said, I'm going to hit it from a different angle. He said, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, it shall say unto them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, what's his name? What shall I say unto them? <clears throat> so Moses, that subjection to God is, God, what words am I going to say? And how am I going to explain to them that God has actually sent me in and God gives this answer that still is the answer of all answers where God says, just tell them I am that sent me. The identity of God, who He is, the ever-present God has sent me. Jehovah God has sent me. Moses is stuck on what words should I say? And God says, why would you be hung up on the words when you've been sent by the Almighty God of the universe. You know, that's what we get hung up on. Sometimes we want to talk to that coworker or that neighbor and invite him to church. Or we want to talk to that relative maybe about, uh, about Jesus. And we're worried about, well, what words should I use? And God's looking down from heaven and says, I am the Word. Right? I'm the Word. All you need is me. All you need is what I've already given you. You're hung up on these tiny little details instead of understanding the big picture is me. And, and so we have this same objection in our lives. So he's got this first objection. I'm the wrong person. He's got the second objection. What words would I use? Then we get down to chapter 4. And I want you to skip down through the passage a little bit. And go to chapter 4 and verse number 1. So Moses hits God with another one. He says, God, I'm the wrong person, and I don't know what the words are going to be. And then he says, well, okay, even if I do go, Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. So Moses said, I'm going to show up, and they're not going to believe, and they're going to say, God didn't send you. Why are you here, Moses? And it was a big objection from Moses' angle, from his perspective. This is a huge question. And, you know, sometimes we think we've got God stumped. Right? We think our objection is going to stump God. We think, God, you've never heard this one before. It's kind of like the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus that one day. And they're going to play all these tricks on him, right? They brought their best card trick. They brought their best coin trick. And they said, Jesus, we're getting you with this one. And they sat down and they had conferred with each other. They said, I know a way to get him. We'll ask him about taxes. Right? We'll ask him about federal government. That'll stump him. And Jesus said, bring me a coin. I said, what? Bring me a coin? Yeah, he says, okay. Well, looks like you should probably give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. I'm like, what? How did, how did he get that one? How did he know that one? And so they went and grabbed the trivial pursuit game, you know, and they picked the hardest question in the circle. And they, how could we stump him? They said, Jesus, 
Look, there's a guy, and he got married, but he didn't have any children, and the guy died. And so then his brother uh, married the wife, but they didn't have any children, and there were seven brothers, and none of them really had children with the guy. But here's the big question. Here's what we want to know. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Take that one, Jesus. Right? You've never seen this one coming. And Jesus said, uh, I believe if you look it up, that in the resurrection there, are, there is no marriage. In the resurrection, we all worship God as individuals. And boy, they went away with their tail between their legs. And they came back another day and a lawyer, a prominent lawyer, stood up and said, Jesus, got another one for you. What's the great commandment in the law? What do you say about that one? And they just kept hitting him again and again. And this is what Moses was doing with God. He said, God, I've got another one. If you could answer this one, then maybe I'll go. Maybe I'll feel like I'm called by you. And Moses said, what if they have hard hearts? That's his question. Question three. Objection three. Hard hearts. And I love God's answer. Don't you think it's so neat when we ask a question and God answers with another question? Right? So, so Moses said, God, wait, what about this? What if I get there and they won't hearken unto me? Yeah, they say, God hasn't sent you. And look how God responded. It's the weirdest thing. The Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And you look at God like, what? I asked you about the hard heart thing. God, I told you that their hearts are going to be hard and they won't believe what I have to say to you. And you know, you want to know what's in my hand. A rod. God said, cast it down. He cast it down. And we all know the story. It became a snake. It became a viper. And Moses started dancing like he hadn't danced in a very long time. And he was doing the wilderness dance right there. And he picks it up and it becomes a rod again. And he says, put your hand in, inside your jacket in your bosom. And he takes it out and it's leprous. And God's trying to teach Moses, hey, there's no objection that you're going to have from my will that will ever work. Because where I guide, I provide. And where I lead, I sustain. And God gave Moses exactly what he needed as he answered this. But we go down now to verse number 10. Moses said unto the Lord, Oh, my Lord. This is another one. I am not eloquent. I'm not eloquent. I wasn't eloquent before or since. I'm just not eloquent. Look what he says. I'm slow of speech. I have a slow tongue. Now God answers with, it, with the question. And if you look at verse 11, it's a great question. He says, who hath made man's mouth? Isn't that good? God had the answer for everything. So Moses said, I'm not eloquent. I can't talk right. I'm an inadequate vessel. God, I'm not a good enough spoon to hold the homemade ice cream. I'm not a good enough fork to hold the steak. Now, how many of you would be willing, if you had to, to eat prime rib with your fingers? How many would be willing to do that, right? 
How many of you, I mean, if you had to, you would be willing to pick up a bowl of ice cream and just eat it this way? Right? Even if there's no spoon, you'd be willing to do that? See, we know how to get the food where we need it to get, even when there's no utensils. Right? Be honest now. How many of you have ever broken your plastic fork in a restaurant and you kept eating with only two, two uh, parts of it, right? What are they called? The spindles or the, the prongs? Yeah, you, you ate with a two-pronged fork, right? Now God says to Moses, Moses, do you realize I'm the one who makes the forks? I'm the one who makes the spoons. I'm the one who makes the mixers. You be who I've called you to be. Who's made man's mouth? He said, or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seen or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, look at this, verse 12, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what what thou shalt say. So God said, hey, your questions, I've got answers for them. And we have a lot of questions in our lives, don't we? We always have questions before we'll step out on faith and do what God wants us to do. You know what God's answer is? I am. I am. And you take any question in your life, and He's just the answer. He he really is. In fact, I heard an old preacher one time say it this way, Jesus is the answer. What's the question? Does that make sense? Jesus is the answer. What's the question? Because we come to God and we say, God, wait, hold on. What about my wife? What about my husband? What about my kids? What about the car? What about the bills? What about this job? What if this happens? And Jesus keeps saying, I'm the answer. I'm the answer. I'm the answer. Get it through your head. I'm the answer. But Moses went even further now, and we see the surrender. Because he still wasn't going to give up. He was still going to go kicking and screaming. And God has to use his stern voice with Moses. Before he would get it through his head that he was actually being sent by the Most High God out of Moab to lead Israel into Egypt. Full surrender is not always a picture of peace and bliss. Sometimes it comes through trials. I remember when I was growing up, the pastor of the church where I was, would tell a story, and I bet he would tell it eight or ten times a year, about God calling him to be in ministry and God calling him to preach in the 1960s. And he refused to follow God's leading. He refused to follow God's call. And and so, uh, just a couple weeks after God had impressed on his heart, I want you to be a pastor, I want you to preach the gospel, and he, he didn't listen, there was a flood in their area. And when the flood came, he sent his, his wife and his little boy, and they left the house, and he carried furniture from the first floor of the house all the way up to the second floor by himself. And as he's carrying the furniture, he's saying, I'm not going to do what God wants me to do. I'm still not going to do it. I know God's calling me, but I'm not going to do it. And the flood didn't work. You know, a few weeks later, his little boy, three years old, had to go in for a simple tonsillectomy. And he went in to surgery, and I think it's 1963 or 64, simple tonsillectomy, and he died. He died. And it took a huge event in his life where he would actually walk out of that room 
and look up in the sky and say, God, you got my attention. I'm actually going to do what you want me to do. Now, folks, God's not a mean God. He's a loving God. He's a good God. He wants us to do what He's called us to do. But look what happens with Moses. We begin to see God get His angry voice on. Look at verse number 13. And He said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of whom thou wilt send. What He's saying is, God, have you not figured out yet I'm not the right fork? I'm not the right spoon. Grab another spoon from the drawer. Grab another fork from the drawer. Send somebody else. I'm not the right guy. And God got upset. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. God said, I've got an answer for every objection. And Moses, finally, verse number 18, goes before his father-in-law. It says to him, Let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Moses finally surrendered to God's will. But you know, it took a lot of objections and it took a lot of questions. And even on the way back, God comes to him in the end and says, hey, by the way, Moses, your little boys, they've never been circumcised. You need to take care of that. That's not really a topic we like to bring up, is it? And so here they are at the local Motel 6 on the way back up to Egypt And God says, Moses, hey, before you head back up north and see your family and lead Israel, you need to have your little boy circumcised. And Zipporah, you remember her? She threw a fit. She was upset. She, first of all, didn't want her boys to be circumcised. Second of all, she didn't want to have a part in doing the circumcision at the local Motel 6. And so finally she went and took care of business and threw it down before Moses' feet. And this is the Bible saying this, not me. This is the description that's given. And she says to Moses, you're a bloody husband. And that's how the British began to use that as a cuss word. Right? You're a bloody husband because of the circumcision. And she went kicking and screaming with Moses. In fact, she hated God's will so much that she later left Moses to go back to her father. And Moses began to go in before Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, God said, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh is saying, no, we're not doing that. And then there were ten different plagues. And we all know the story, but you know Moses had been prepared by God for 40 years in the wilderness to face the rejection and face the turmoil and face the circumstances that would lead him to God's will. And there are things that have happened in your life, I don't know what they all are, but there are things that have happened in your life for God to bring you to this exact point today where He wants to use you. God has a purpose for you. We know it's a good purpose. God has a will for you. We know it's a good will. God has something special He wants you to do. And yet, we ask this question, God, why me? Why am I sent? 
Why would you want me to go? Send somebody else. God, why would you want that to be the purpose for my life? If God says it is, this, this is the purpose. This is what I've called you to do. And so the way I would end the message today is to say this. It could be that you are deep in your comfort zone. Sometimes we call that a rut. Right? We get into this rut in our lives and it's our comfort zone and we do the same things and we go to the same places and we eat the same things and we do the same things with our kids. How many of you are like me? When you go to a restaurant where you've been before, you really struggle with not getting the exact same thing. Right? I struggle with it. It's like I got to get the pecan pancakes because that's what I always get. And uh, so my wife, she helped me with this and I trick myself. So here, here's how I trick myself. Normally I would order coffee with the pecan pancakes, right? So what I do is when the waitress comes and says we'd like something to drink, I get the iced tea. Because I know that in my brain if I get the iced tea, then I won't be able to get breakfast with the because you got to have coffee with breakfast food. Am I right? How many are you with me? So I tricked myself to try to get out of the rut. Now my mind has evolved to the point, not the evolution, the bad kind, the good kind, right? My mind has evolved to the point now, though, that it is willing to accept pecan pancakes with iced tea. <laughs> and isn't, that, isn't that horrible? That my mind would just jump right over that hoop like I put this barrier in and said, you got to jump this to get there, and it jumped it. It just went clean around it. And now my body has been willing to accept pecan pancakes with iced tea numerous times. And so I've had to create a new way to kick myself out of the rut. You know, God really wants to kick us out of our rut today. He wants to take us out of our comfort zone and say, I've got a purpose for your life. You remember those hopes and dreams? You remember how you want to be used by me? I'm ready to use you. I've got a path for your life. You know, instead of saying, God, I'm not the right spoon. I'm not the right fork. I'm not the right mixing bowl. Pick him. Pick her. What if we said to God, God, I'm willing to trust you. I'm willing to believe that you're the God of all the universe. I'm willing to believe that your providence has brought me to this point in my life to be used by you. Let's bow in prayer this morning. <clears throat> as we bow and as we close this service today, would you be willing to say to God before you leave this place, God, I'm willing to be used by you on your terms. See, so many times we say to God, God, oh God, would you please use me? but it'll have to be on my terms. God, before you use me, sign this contract. It's got to be on my terms. And would you be willing today to open your heart before God and say, God, I'm willing to be used by you on your terms. That's a simple thing, isn't it? That's a simple thing. And yet it's what God would have for us this morning. Father, would you take this message now and use it in our lives I pray that we would be willing as a group, as individuals, as families, as fathers, as mothers, as young people, to come before your throne on this day, in this place, and right now in our hearts, at this very moment, say, God, I'm willing to be used by you on your terms. It's that simple.
God, I pray that we'd be willing to do that. Sometimes we won't do it, though, because we're afraid of what you'll say. We're afraid of where you'll send us. We're afraid of how you'll lead us. I pray that you would help us as we leave this place today to remember that the center of your will is the most joyful place in the universe. The center of your will is the safest place in the universe. It's the place that leads to the most fruit. And so I pray that you would help us to be willing to surrender to you, our hearts. We thank you, God, for who you are. You're a most precious Savior. We praise you in your name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Love you. Have a great day.